Hey, hey, this is Andy Anas with Pod Slam and Jamma presented by Clutch City Control Room. On this episode, we will talk about Marcus Sasser's rising stock after an impressive couple of days in the NBA G League uh, elite camp. He's creating a lot of buzz as he gets the full invite to the NBA Draft Combine. Uh, we'll talk about the newest commitments to both the men's and women's basketball teams. And lastly, we'll recap the football season's top plays. You're listening to Pod Slam and Jamma. Jones across midfield. Jones just waiting for somebody. Jones inside the 20 to the 10, and for the fifth time in his career, will not be stopped. Here's Grimes and a pull up three. Oh, Grimes, dead eye shooter. Blair to Patterson in the corner for three. To midcourt. That's Mark at the buzzer. And on that note, we are back. Dayon Dunlap, as always, joining me. Dayon, sir, introduce yourself. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well, man. Glad to be back for another fire episode. Can't wait. It's a lot has transpired since our last episode. Yeah, for sure. And we'll jump right into it with the NBA G League's elite camp. Like we mentioned, uh, Marcus Sasser has been putting in a lot of work, uh, certainly during the, the scrimmages the past uh, two days that they had. He was able to, to get the full NBA draft combine invite, so he gets to stay in Chicago for a few more days. Uh, but we've really got to start there because that, he's the one player when you think about the men's basketball team that a lot of UH fans are interested in, not only because of what he's currently doing in the NBA draft process, but of course, what he said when he put his name into the NBA draft uh, pool was uh, if he wasn't uh, guaranteed a first round pick in the NBA draft, he was going to come back. Uh, I don't know so much about now, but he's certainly been showing it, it, the most important thing is that it seems like that leg injury, that toe injury, they really sidelined him for much of the season this past 2021 20, 22 season. That's behind him because he has really been able to put some strong performance together, especially in the first. G League elite game where uh, he finished with <clears throat> he finished with 23 points and shot four of eight from threes. I think the most important stat um, for for Marcus Sasser is the low turnovers that he's been able to have and he's been able to showcase all his skills. Uh, Dayon, what have you seen and what have you been impressed with uh, in Marcus Sasser, Marcus Sasser during the G League elite camp? I mean, I pretty much, he pretty much did what he done throughout his entire career, and I knew when he got to a setting of an NBA setting, I felt like he would be able to flourish more because the floor is more spread. There's no, there is defensive three seconds, so he could be able to have more space to move and get his shot off. We've seen his ability to create for himself and off the dribble. So I've really just been impressed with his, really that he's healthy now, but just more impressed with the way he's been able to create for himself off the dribble, getting his mid-range. I think uh, we've seen his ability to pull up from three, but his crossover, his way that he can handle the basketball and get that mid-range shot, I think that's vital um, going into the next level. Then as well, like you said, with his turnovers, the ball is probably going to be in his hands even a lot more as he transitions to the next level. So not turning the basketball over, as well as rebounding. Small guard, but when you come from Houston, you're still going to chase after that glass and get the board. So he's really been able to do what he's done throughout his entire career at the G League um, elite camp. 
Yeah, going back to those two G League Elite games, I mean, th throughout the course of both of the games, Sasser combined for 34 points on 10 of 19 shooting. He went 5 of 12 on threes, 10 assists, 11 rebounds, and he played a total of 38 minutes. So when you translate to a full, you know, NBA regulation size game, those, those are some impressive numbers, uh, what he's been able to do over the course of two days. And obviously, like I said, he's been able to garner a lot of attention because he got that full NBA draft combine invite. And now he, he continues to, to keep working. And like I said, whenever he first announced that he was declaring for the NBA draft and putting his name uh, in it, he said that the only way he would leave Houston is if he got a first round commitment. Now, um, today, uh, obviously, of course, we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, last night on Tuesday was the NBA draft lottery. Um, that gives a lot of new uh, interest buzz around the NBA draft, certainly because now we have uh, the lottery order or the order for the draft, and it has spurred a lot of new mock drafts. Um, and one in particular by Sports Illustrated has Marcus Sasser at number 47 overall in the draft. So um, there was certainly before the G League event camps, um, a lot of them really didn't have Marcus Sasser there. Since then, I've certainly seen him uh, build that buzz, and now you see him, uh, he's clawed into the top 50. I know it's just one mock draft in particular, but it shows the progress, and he only has a chance to continue to, to help that stock rise uh, with the draft combine. Now, I will say this, Dayon, uh, you've been consistent throughout where you said that Marcus Sasser is a first-round talent. Um, he's shown it in what he's done for with Houston uh, the seasons that he's been here. Um, but do you think that he can work his way up and play his way into one of those top 30 picks where uh, you see him not coming back? Do you see him potentially not coming back regardless, even if he doesn't get that commitment of being a first-round pick? Because it seems like he's played his way into getting interest from NBA teams. Well, I think he's going to be true to his word as far as if he doesn't feel he's guaranteed that first round pick in which I feel like to answer your question, he can play his way. And then it really just goes into the scouts. Do your homework. If you see on film since his freshman year all the way up until this past season, there hasn't been many games specifically this past season that I watched him and he wasn't the best guard on the floor. One game comes to mind where I say he was equal talent, both NBA level guards on the floor, and that was against Wisconsin and Johnny Davis. Mm -hmm. And so – I definitely feel like he can play his way, but then with the scouts, they're doing their homework, then they get the ability to see him live in the NBA setting as far as with the NBA rules. And then I think they were really being impressed even more. And then Marcus, man, I, like I've said, I've been very impressed with him in his career. And I, I think the sky's the limit. He's only going to get better. He's going to get stronger. His ball handling is going to get better. His basketball IQ is, is going to rise even higher. And he a dog. I mean, you, you're going to have that dog in you. So I definitely think he can. But um, just the, the way the chips fall, I mean, you, you never really know. I don't really pay attention to um, these pre-draft, um, mock drafts, and all that stuff like that. All that stuff is just for clickbait, people to click it and read it. If I, I don't really follow that until, until it gets time to post. A lot of that time is just teams just kind of – probing with other teams so, this, so i really don't i really don't follow that stuff but I, I definitely think he can and i think he will i definitely think he will i think he will shine even more when it comes down to the combine and they have those games that they play there just like quick mm -hmm. grimes did and so i envision him staying in the draft and i envision him being the first round pick the nba draft combine is going to stretch into uh 
the weekend. It, they, it starts uh, today's the first official day, and it's going to go through Sunday, May 22. Now, uh, I kind of put you on the spot, but I, I have a question for you. If you were advising Marcus Sasser, and even if he doesn't get that first-round commitment, would you uh, would you advise him to keep his name? Because he has until June 1st to uh, keep his college eligibility in return. Uh, what do you tell him to keep his name in, even if he's not guaranteed a first-round pick because of what he's been able to put on film the last few days? And I'd imagine if he keeps his name, I think it's very, very likely that he is in uh, the top 60 once the, the actual NBA draft comes around. If I'm advising him, I'm, I would tell him if he isn't guaranteed that first-round pick, then come back to school because you look at the talent coming in, you look at – playing on the brightest stages and shining on the brightest stage. And when he's shown that he can do that in the final four against Baylor, against Davion Mitchell, one of the best premier on-ball defenders, he shined against him. So like I said, scouts do your homework. You'll see who Marcus Sasser is and who he can be. But if I'm advising him, I would say if it is, if you don't get that guarantee from any team, I don't really – I mean, I'm not going to say don't listen to your agents. Or I know he doesn't have an agent, so your advisors that I should say that if, if he gets it to get that, come back because it's not going to hurt you. And then you look at the NIL rule. I mean, you still have the mm -hmm. ability to make money and help provide for your family while in school. And so it isn't like he's, quote, unquote, chasing the money, although it would be a substantial increase in pay if he went to the league. But if I'm advising him, I would say if it isn't guaranteed, then come back. But like I just said a second ago, I think he will play his way into that first round. One of the other players, a uh, plethora of Cougars and ex-Cougars that were part of that NBA G League uh, event, Kyler Edwards, he had a strong showing in the second uh, game in the G League at camp, uh, finished with 15 points, a 3 of 6 shooting, uh, did not get an NBA draft combine invite, obviously, of course, Fabian White and former Cougar. Bryson Gresham were part of those games. Now, for those players that didn't necessarily get draft combine invites, uh, what have you seen from them and, and what kind of really could be their next step because it certainly looks like to be one of those top 60 picks, uh, they got a long road. They're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Um, everything from what I read and from what I saw throughout his career, who I'm very impressed with is Bryson Gresham. Um, mm -hmm. you, you watch his tape, you know what you're going to get from him. You're going to get a tenacious rebounder. You're going to get someone with a high motor that's going to run the floor, that's going to block shots, that's going to contest shots. And he, he's going to be one of those utility and one of those tough players that isn't going to mind coming in, getting hard fouls, who will work hard in practice. So I don't know if he plays his way into a draft pick, but I definitely think from with the um, showing that he had, he definitely put a lot of teams on his radar for potentially to get that G League, that two-way contract, the two-way deal that they're giving out now. So I've been very impressed with him. And as far as um, Kyler, um, I, I think he had a good showing for sure. Uh, he still showed his ability to rebound. He shot the three well, but for Kyler, it's just being consistent. He can have a game where he, he goes off, but all the little things that he does well with his defense, I think his playmaking – will even stand out even more. He had his the ball in his hands at times with Houston, especially when Marcus and Tremont mm -hmm. went down. But I, I think Kyler still can improve his stock as well. And Fabian, um, I know he went to two different camps, but, but I think Fabian still may have a little bit more ways to go as far as just improving himself to the NBA scouts and stuff like that because he hasn't really shot the ball well. But I think with the right system, right team, he, he definitely can make an impact and get into that G League, NBA, or, or definitely professionally. 
And we'll leave it right there, but don't go anywhere because coming right up, we'll talk about the newest additions to both the UH men's and women's basketball teams. You're listening to Pod Slam and Jamma covering your UH athletics. Continue on here on Pod Slam and Jamma. Like Andy just said, we're going to talk some of the new additions, but before we get into some of the new um, commitments from both programs, we've got to give a, a huge shout out and congratulations to assistant coach Ty Dillard who was promoted to associate head coach. He's been with the team for eight years now. And so definitely shout out to Coach Ty Dillard, well-deserved. I can't wait to see her continue to help develop this team and help propel them to the heights of where they want to go. But as far as recruits, um, the ladies got two big recruits, Demila Brown um, from Arkansas, transferred from Illinois, and a huge recruit from out of the Dallas area, very highly talented recruiter coming out of high school, transferring from LSU, LSU is Logan McNeil. So I'm very excited about these two. But from, from reading what you read and some of the quotes from Coach Huey, what do you think about those two additions for the women's program? Especially they had another player transfer out, two players transfer out with Tamara Nard and Jasmine Lewis, Jasmine Lewis who went to Texas Tech. Mm -hmm, for sure. Let's start with McNeil, who, like you mentioned, uh, she's coming from LSU, and I think uh, she's certainly the the um, when it comes to the newest transfer, certainly someone that's going to have a lot of eyeballs to her, not just because of where she's coming. Obviously, of course, you know uh, what LSU provides, but also um, just what she's kind of not to say she's been a blank canvas but she hasn't necessarily been able to get her footing at least so far in the college level obviously of course she had mm -hmm. to redshirt all of last season um after rehabbing from that uh knee injury and even then uh really she's going to come into an interesting spot where houston's got they kind of the coaching staff gets an opportunity to to work her way in and kind of see her fit and like i said not necessarily a, a completely brand new canvas but not necessarily a, a under a different model that she has been at another place. Now, coming out of high school, she was highly recruited. Um, I believe she was ranked in the top 20 when it came to the ESPN uh, rankings coming out of high school. So she certainly has the talent. Um, and I think she's certainly the one, uh, when you look at these transfers, it's going to garner a lot more attention. Now, yeah. when you look at the uh, transfer from Illinois, and like you mentioned, uh, Demila Brown, who um, she's um, um, had a bit of an interesting journey Um Coming to Houston, she originally played um, for Arkansas. No, she's an Arkansas native, I believe, but she mm -hmm. went before Illinois. Um, she played at the uh, junior college level after originally transferring out during her first freshman year. So she's kind of traveled uh, a lot from place to place. And when you look at, um, certainly when you look at last season from Illinois and what she was able to do, it seems like she's much more of a high volume scorer and um, I think it'll be interesting to see how Ron Hugh and the coaching staff kind of uh, see her fit with this um, roster. Obviously, you mentioned some of the losses that they uh, saw over um, the offseason. Obviously, of course, with the seniors that have left uh, the program as well, it's going to be a, a bit of a completely different uh, vibe to the roster. But I think the most important thing is they're, they're going to have Layla Blair. And obviously, I think that's really for the women's team. That's where everything starts with. And that's Layla Blair. Having her and Dan, I'll be curious to get your thoughts. But I think that Houston has to put an emphasis on having the offense run through Layla Blair more, uh, especially when it comes to shot taking and kind of the offense having it go through her. And with the addition of uh, Brown, I think it'll be interesting to see how Ron Huey figures out um, certainly in the past, she's a volume scorer, but here, I don't think, would you see a scenario where she's competing in terms of shot takes with Layla Blair? 
Oh, well, I think it's going to be offense going to be ran. Not only I agree with Layla Blair, but Tierra Young as well. Mm-hmm. And Tierra Young has familiarity with Longing McNeil, both of them transferring from LSU, who will talk a little bit more about McNeil. I want to add something to what you said. But for Brown, I envision her being that ball handler because with losing Diamond Gladney and losing Julia Blackshell Fair, yeah, you don't want really, to, I don't think Coach Huey wants Layla on the Blair, Layla Blair on the ball as much. Mm-hmm as he would like her off of the ball and ability that where she can focus on scoring. I do think at times with her playmaking ability and her growth that she will be on ball. He wants her on ball. But with the addition of Brown, I, I think she's going to bring not only experience, you talk about the experience that you have, but she has playmaking ability. And with scores around her, I think she's going to be more on the road to be able to break down a defense and facilitate. And one thing that she did well at Illinois and what Coach Huey and the women's program do is pressure the basketball. She's great at great at getting steals. She told if I'm not mistaken, 20 steals at Illinois. And so that's something she's going to be able to come in and have immediate impact on the defensive end and that pressure defense where she learns the system. So I, I definitely think both players feel a need. Brown, I envision her being more facilitator, but – Coach Huey gets freedom with his guards. He, does, he doesn't put a cap on them and run the system primarily through a player in the half court set he does, but he lets them play freely, especially in transition. He encourages them to take their shots, and she has the offensive ability to fill it up like you just mentioned. And McNeil, um, like I just said a second ago, is familiar everybody with Tierra Young. Both came over from LSU, and so I, I wonder what um, – Tierra had to do as far as recruiting and help getting her there. And McNeil, that's another need. When you lose into Marinard, you still have Cam Jones back, but um, Bria Patterson is a senior now. And so uh, you can still have T- um, Tatiana, Tatiana Hill as well. And so both of them are, are going to be seniors. And so McNeil can come in and play both of those spots in whichever role that she's needed in any given any given game. I think she she has the ability to score from the perimeter. She has the ability to score inside very skilled posts. I was watching some highlights from her the other day when she announced her commitment. So I definitely thank Coach Huey, Coach um, Ty Diller, and the entire coaching staff and players. I know they had their hand in help recruiting these players as well. Got two good players who fulfill the need. Yeah, and I think, like you mentioned, I think that playmaking is going to be uh, crucial when it comes to Brown and, and how she ends up fitting with this roster because um, that that's going to be the key element that really, honestly, even going back to this past season, something that this team lacked at moments, and it's it's oftentimes something that got them in trouble because it seemed like the offense would stagnate, um, especially when they got into the, the higher echelon matchups. I mean, especially whenever they had to run into USF. So um, I, I agree with you. It's, it's an interesting fit but I think it'll it'll be on the coaching staff to, to figure them out. They brought him here for a reason. And uh, yep. something that when you look, you mentioned uh, Ron Huey and what he had to say about uh, both of these players when they, they announced their um, that, that they had joined the UH program um, was uh, how he emphasized that they're both, you know, triple scores. They're, they're not triple scores. They're um, three-level scores. Exactly. That that's what yeah, it was. Three level scores. Yeah. Um, in in the case of um, when it comes to Brown, I think that's going to be crucial for her because when you look at Houston and going back to what I said with Blair, um, scoring in terms of play or shot creating, that's not necessarily a big issue. I think 
offense as a whole and being able to run smoothly and facilitate, I think that should be more of the emphasis uh, going into the season. And so, like you mentioned, Tierra Young's going to play a big factor uh, for Houston as well. And that, when you look at McNeil, one thing that stood out to me when, when Ron Huey said was um, how she does a little bit of everything, especially on the glass. And, and the, the word he used to describe was she fits the culture. So mm-hmm. I think that right there, that's, that's key for, for the coaching staff and the women's team. 100%. I agree with everything you said. And an- another thing to add to that is, and what you mentioned when they struggle, is a lot of times in a half court set in which they would struggle. They excel in transition when they can play fast, but it would be a lot of lapses in the half court set. And Brown brings experience, not only in the Big Ten and in a, in, a, in a really good league, playing against the likes of you know Ohio State and Michigan, who had really good seasons. And so she has experience. She's not going to be surprised with pretty much anything she's saying. I think just kind of come in and get familiar with the system and, and get comfortable playing with her teammates, build that chemistry, build that camaraderie. But like I just said, they got really two good additions and they fulfill needs. Mm-hmm. And switching over to the men's side, they also got a commitment, uh, not for this upcoming season, but looking ahead for the 2023-24 season, they got their first official commitment Um to play when it comes to freshmen for 23-24, and that would be Cordelius Jefferson, um, who, uh, by all accounts, when you look at the recruiting sites, both rivals in 24-7 sports, um, they have him highly rated as a four-star recruit. Um, he's mm-hmm. a 6'3", 180-pound guard, and like I mentioned, he's going to He's committed to Houston. He committed to Houston this past uh, Monday, and he is going to be an interesting fit when you look at the players that they have um, for the 23-24 season. Now, obviously, of course, um, it, it gets a lot of iffy when you look at players like Jamon Mark, Jamal Shedd, um, what kind of aspirations they will have by then. I think um, c- counting on both of them to be back next season would probably be, uh, depending on, obviously, of course, whatever they do this season, um, might be uh, – not realistic, especially when you look at what Shed has been able to do this past season and what Mark is aiming to do after his injury. But um, how do you see him uh, potentially fitting in with the mix? And obviously, of course, when you look at Houston uh, commits, everything, um, Calvin Sampson doesn't recruit a player. He doesn't feel that he's going to come in and, and fit to the, going back to what Huey said, but the culture of the program, that's that's really what it all starts with when it comes to Calvin Sampson and, and the players they recruit. Yeah, Jefferson's from the Dallas area, from Arlington, and so I actually got a chance to see him play very strong guard, attacks the the rim hard, isn't afraid of anything, especially not the moment. He relishes being the best player on the floor, especially in high school and having that attention on him. And so Mm -hmm. I'm envisioning him coming in and and filling his role. I think it's always an adjustment from high school to college, especially playing for, uh, for Kelvin Sampson. So uh, I think it's a good get anyone that Coach Sampson and gets and trusts. Uh, I know it's something he's going to bring in and make them better. And so I'm not surprised. I, I can't wait to see him come to the next level, see how his body feels out with, with Coach Bishop. He does an outstanding job helping them still develop. He was has good size in high school now, but he's only going to get bigger and, and get more skilled. And so an, another good get for the Cougars, man, and they have a lot of young guards. They're really, really stockpiling those guards. And like Coach Sampson said, he likes to keep, if I remember correctly, six guards. And so they have a lot of young guards in, in the future. They still have Emmanuel Sharp, like you mentioned, Jamal Shedd. Still yeah. has a ton of experience. Tremont Mark, we still got Ramon Walker. 
and who knows what Marcus Sasser is going to do. But you look at those young core guards that they have, and then Jefferson, you still got Miller, who's committed in the 20, 2024 recruiting class. So he definitely has an eye out for guards. And if I was a guard, in which I was, but if I was a guard now, I would definitely want to play for Coach Samson in the way that they help him develop these guards. Yeah, and I think like you, you hit it right on the head when it comes to you know looking at the past. And I mean, just recently, obviously, of course, Quentin Grimes, who goes in the first round, Marcus Sasser, who's been able to to create a lot of buzz this past few days as he you know follows his NBA aspirations. Even before that, with you know guys like Nate Hinton, I mean, Dejan Jarrell's mm-hmm. going around in the G League. Obviously, of course, he suffered the injury during his first season, but even back, Armani Brooks, the list goes on and on and on. And that's not even going back to to when Sampson first came to. Houston. So I think, like you said, that certainly me. Um, Calvin Sampson and that staff has shown uh, how they benefit guards. Um, one final thing on Jefferson, and, and I said he's from the Dallas area. You see that he's not afraid of the moment at the high school level. What, what's a little bit of his game like? Because 24-7, a sports call him a combo guard. What, what's a little bit of his play style? He's a more of a driver now that can knock down an outside shot. If I had to compare him to a player that's kind of give cool fans um, ideal, similar to Jimmy Butler, a player who who can make outside shots but isn't going to be dependent on making his outside shots to affect the game. Really tough driver is going to defend, going to play physical. And so that, that's more of his style of game right now. But, you know, Coach Samson focuses on your weaknesses to sharpen that and make you good at what you're not great at coming in into college. And so, uh, I mean, I, I love his toughness. I think he he's going to really come in. He's not going to be afraid of contact. And Coach Samson, he loves that physicality. Coming right up on Pod Slime Jamo, we go into the offseason portion of uh, the year. We'll talk, look back at the 2021 season for the football team and some of the top moments coming right up on Pod Slime Jamo, presented by Clark City Control Room, covering your UH athletics. Right now on Pod Slam Jamba, we're talking big plays from last season on the football field. And when I think about that first play that comes into my mind is Tank Dell against Cincinnati. I know they had two cornerbacks who were drafted, Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner. But Tank got saucy against Cincinnati. <laughs> and when she caught that short pass, juked maybe three or four, four or five defenders, took it all the way down inside the five or ten yard line. Man, that was probably one of the most impressive plays that I've seen throughout the season, and that was one of the biggest plays, in my opinion, throughout the season. Yeah, uh, I think that's certainly a, a very viable candidate. I'll go with my first option, um, or the top. We're doing top three, so I'll go with number three for me. And um, I guess <laughs> I ended up choosing the entire game for my moment. But I want to go back to when Houston played Tulane in that game. I, I have this in the top three and number three. And the reason for that is because, obviously, this is when Houston had kind of snowballed into a lot of uh, the early parts of the winning streak. Obviously, of course, uh, the season started with that disappointing loss to Texas. Tech and after that game everything was on a low now they played the likes of Grambling they played the likes of Rice Navy uh they got the wins but you know it didn't really seem like people were fully bought into the turnaround because of the level of opponents that they had played uh mm-hmm. Tulane was really kind of that first big test in the American Athletic Conference uh for Houston and even the way that game went Houston jumped out to a 14-0 lead and then uh it was absurd because then Tulane comes and they end up leading 22-17. And from that point on, Houston 
ends the game. They score like 23 unanswered points. And that's just a whole bunch of different uh, cool moments, whether it was Clayton Toon uh, hitting Jeremy Singleton for a touchdown. And, and that was one of the games where uh, Tejon Henry um, had a yeah. bit of a breakout game. Ultimately, Casco capped it off with his touchdown. So he continued his strong season. But I think really what it signified for this program is it's really kind of a signature moment for Clayton Toon because this was coming off the heels of, you know, he had struggled a little bit against Grambling before he got injured. He came back in this game to lane uh, the defense that they had been able to put to that point. And not only did he have three touchdowns in the game, but I think most importantly, he had no picks. And that's why I have this one, a number three moment for the football team. Uh, another moment for me, and if I'm ranking mine, my tank would have been number two on my list. So number mm-hmm. three on my list is De'Anthony Jones' first game of the season against Texas Tech. Um, if I remember correctly, I think Texas Tech scored maybe 14 points straight, and Houston was trying to get back in the game, and De'Anthony Jones got a, a sack fumble in which he didn't able yeah. to recover, but Houston was able to recover that fumble. And if I'm, I believe they punched it in the end zone. But for me, that kind of set the tone for Sac Avenue. That, that kind of wow. set the tone for their defensive line that they're going to be able to get after passer and not only make those big time plays and big moments to keep the momentum going and just just keep Houston rolling. And so De'Anthony Jones, who if you mentioned missed that episode, he was my defensive MVP of the season. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to even take another bigger step this next season with more opportunities. He's more of a pass rush specialist last season, but this year I'm envisioning him probably no, no, well leading the team in sacks again, but putting the country and the nation, college football nation, on notice that he's a problem. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That's a, certainly a good. Uh, um, moment to have on your list and certainly in that first half that like you said it it kind of sets the tone for a sack avenue and, and what the houston defense was able to build on for the rest of the season and in that first half they had tyler shook from uh, texas tech a little shook now obviously of course he was able to turn it around in the second half but i, I agree with you it was a good moment now going for my second moment and uh it's i'm going back all the way to the end of the season uh jumping forward a little bit i should say um, when Houston defeated Auburn. And um, obviously, of course, when you look at, at the opponents, the Birmingham Bowl is not necessarily a, a, a big ball or anything like that, or even the, the year Auburn had. But I think what it signified for the program as a whole, um, being able to, again, turn around the program, get their 12th win uh, of the season, 12-2 um, and two overall in season, uh, I think really just what it meant for Dana Hogerson kind of, in the step of the right direction of the program. Um, it was another game where similar to Tulane, Houston was um, kind of had dug themselves uh, a little bit of a hole and the offense had stalled out for most of the game and they had to put together a drive. Once again, Clayton Toon and, and the offense had to um, come from behind and then put together a solid drive to, to win the game. And like you said, going back, uh, credit to the defense, which they were missing key players uh, along that defense as well. And they were able to hold uh Auburn and not really able to let them to, to build the lead. And they held them to 13 points for the entire game. Uh, you look at what Nathaniel Dell was able to do. He like had 150 receiving yards. And I think that's why I put it there just in terms of what it meant. I think it's a good, also a good way to bounce back from the loss in the American athletic championship game to Cincinnati, where uh, they didn't really kind of let that 
lost the final because obviously it was disappointing when you have a chance to to be the upset, uh, play the role of spoilers for Cincinnati. And they um, were able to hang in tough in the first half. And then, obviously, of course, the second half was a different story for the Bearcats. But that's why I have this number two. And I agree with that, man. Anytime you beat an SEC team, uh, that's definitely a highlight because we all know how good the SEC is. And so, um, and we see how, how hard Auburn played Alabama last season. But my number one moment, big play, of course, is Marcus Jones, man. The, yeah. the kick return against SMU at home to basically win the game. And look at that time. SMU was undefeated. They were highly ranked at that time. I don't remember the exact number, but they were they ranked. Were, uh, I think they were 17th. <laughs> coming right, they were 17th. Yep, 17th at the time. Undefeated. They were putting up big numbers. Houston was down, and they kicked it to Marcus Jones. And the rest was history, man. I think that play right there kind of um, really just empowered the team and let them know, like, hey, we're not losing another game this season. I know they lost to Cincinnati, but in a regular season, I think they kind of set the tone for them, like, hey, we're going we're to ride this wave all the way until the American Athletic um, Championship game. And that moment was just spectacular, man. I, I think just being there live, seeing it live, seeing him catch it and run – Man, that's probably a play that I would probably remember probably for the rest of my life, just the moment, the the atmosphere, the are they really going to kick it to him? It's kind of like Devin Hester-ish Super Bowl <laughs> kick, kickoff return and just all the big moments that he had. That that was that was probably – that was the biggest play, one of the biggest moments in my opinion in the season. Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, we completely agree because I had that uh, number one on my list as well. And how, how can't you, um, especially when you look at uh, this is the first time under Dana Hogerson that Houston had beat a ranked opponent. Um, it was certainly something that, that is finally being able to get check that off uh, the list for Dana Hogerson. Like you mentioned, just overall, yes, that play that Marcus Jones uh, had, that's going to be remembered for a long time to come in the minds of Houston fans. But even looking overall on Clayton Tuna had a monster game. He threw for over 400 yards, had four touchdowns. How uh, the game in and of itself was crazy as well because Houston jumps out to that 17 uh, 0 lead and then SMU rallies back and then ties it. And then it's just back and forth um, after that. And, and the way it ends, um, Houston, the Houston fans rushed to feel that TDCU stadium after the game. So I, I agree. Uh, you can't have this going looking back to 2021 season and not have this be your number one moment. Yeah, you can't. And, it just that, that that the team, and often in years past, they will let games like that slip away. Teams fight yeah. back, and they will stay on top. But the resilience that Clayton Toon showed, the leadership he showed, the defense getting key stops, and then Marcus Jones just putting an exclamation point on top of it, putting the cherry on top of the kick return to a touchdown, man, that, that was very impressive. All the way around from the offense, defense, coaching staff, the, the fan base, uh, I definitely think it, it was a play to remember. And that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't done so already, uh, depending where you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever else you may be listening to, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you're watching on YouTube, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. Give us a like. That will always help us. And once again, uh, thank you for joining us at Pod Slam at JAMA. We're going to be doing uh, the top moments for the men's basketball team and the women's basketball team in the coming episode. So if you have any top moments that you feel we missed it. If you'd like to be included, feel free to tweet us. That's at PodSlamajama on Twitter. And Dayan, I'll let you say the final word, sir. 
like Annie said, make sure you follow our Pod Slamming Jamma account. Follow both of our Twitter handles, who is listed on the screen throughout this entire show. Subscribe, do all that stuff. We 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 love the interaction. We love the feedback. We enjoy it. We have some uh, some fans tweet us and get some ideas. So we definitely encourage that. Any sponsors you want to get at us, just shoot us an email, a direct message on the Twitter page, anything along that nature, man. We're here to stay. Great time to be a Cougar. Hopefully going to be in the Big 12 very, very, very soon, which is only going to give us a bigger platform. But as always, man, it's great to join you. Always go Cougs.